What comes to your mind when you think about the Middle Ages? Most of us in Western evangelicalism, I think, don't spend a whole lot of time in church history. And if we do, there seems to be a giant gap from the early church to the Reformation. And in that gap is the Middle Ages, or what some call the Dark Ages. And why they call them that, I'm not completely sure, but there is a lot of good church history in those centuries. Just from a historical perspective, we see bishops excommunicating emperors, emperors excommunicating bishops, there's a lot of religious war, and the church splits for the first time between the East and the West, which is a story for a future episode for sure. But it was also a time of great scholarship. It was a time of great spiritual devotion. And I've been drawn to this time through one of the towering figures in church history, Anselm of Canterbury. And in this week's episode, I want to look at his life and his contribution to our understanding of God. I'm Daniel Clausen, and this is Exploring Christianity. My plan this year is to focus more on church history more on exploring the historical faith so that we can learn not just about the past, but from the past to give us an idea of how we have come to today, but also to help us align ourselves with the historical faith that has been handed down through the generations. I get that there are reservations about the Catholic Church figures but what we know today of the Roman Catholic Church only really started during the Reformation as a response to Martin Luther at the Council of Trent. Our heritage is largely the Catholic Church, as problematic as that sounds and as problematic as they were, particularly leading up to the Reformation. But our heritage, we come from the Western Church, the Catholic Church, same thing. And... In the Catholic Church, or in the Western Church, there are important theologians and teachers who can help us tremendously in our understanding of the faith today. We don't have to take everything they say, as with anybody, but we take what benefits us. We always put scripture against anyone's teaching. So what brought me to Anselm? For starters, I wanted to understand the doctrine of God more fully. And I was drawn to a book by Edward Fieser, I think that's how you say his name, entitled Five Proofs of the Existence of God. And there are five arguments uh, all throughout church history, uh, five different figures, and one of those figures was Anselm and his argument for the existence of God. So that was what introduced me to Anselm. But I also saw that the teachers of the Middle Ages were important to the Reformers. And I was studying the Reformers. I was studying the Reformation a lot. And so I, I saw that maybe I should spend time paying attention to these teachers as well. Then comes the modern revival of classical theism, which has led me to find more teachers who approach the doctrine of God by starting with God 
in himself, not with how God relates to us. So that's what brought me to Anselm. Now, who is Anselm? Anselm was born in 1033 in northern Italy. And in his early adulthood, he traveled aimlessly around Europe for about three years. And this was right after his mother passed away. And he ended up in Normandy, France. And he spent most of his life in a monastery in Beck. There he quickly became a teacher. And he spent his time there very concerned with his students. He wasn't too concerned about becoming um, a renowned teacher throughout Europe. He was more concerned with teaching his students how to worship God with their entire lives. And during his time there, he wrote two books on the doctrine of God. These books did not stay in the monastery. They spread throughout Europe, and he became revered as a prominent scholar. Another one of his famous books is a book on the atonement entitled Why the God-Man. He was eventually appointed Archbishop of Canterbury in England, which proved to be a controversial time in his life, but he remained there until he died at the age of 76 in 1109. Now, his first book on the doctrine of God is entitled The Monologian, which was a rational apologetic for the existence of God. And by rational, I mean it wasn't a book filled with quotes from as many people as he could find. It was his own his own thoughts about God, and they focused mostly on the Trinity. But his second book is the one that is more well-known, entitled The Proslogian. And in this short book, we find his famous motto, Faith Seeking Understanding. Now, this is where many people find Anselm controversial, because he seems to say that reason needs to replace faith. Or that because faith leads to reason, or faith leads to understanding, understanding or reason is greater than faith. But that is not his argument at all. His argument is, he must believe by faith in order to understand who God is. And he writes, I acknowledge, Lord, and I give thanks to you that you have created your image in me, so that I may remember you, think of you, love you. But this image is so effaced and worn away by vice, so darkened by the smoke of sin, that it cannot do what it was made to do unless you renew it and reform it. I do not try, Lord, to attain your lofty heights, because my understanding is in no way equal to it. But I do desire to understand your truth a little, that truth that my heart believes and loves. For I do not seek to understand so that I may believe, but I believe so that I may understand. And this turns our popular theology on its head. It isn't how God relates to us. It's not this self-centered, self-help sort of theology. It's not about what God brings to our lives. It's simply wanting to understand who God is in himself. Anselm teaches us to think about how we relate to God in light of who God is in himself. And he gives immediately a simple proof for the existence of God. And he says that God 
must be that than which a greater cannot be thought. God must be that than which a greater cannot be thought. So the question is asked, what is the greatest being you can think of? And Anselm doesn't start by describing what this being, what this being is like. He simply asks us to think of the greatest being we can think of. Because if we can think of it, it exists in our minds. Anselm then says, good and well that it exists in your mind, but it is greater if that being truly existed, because it is greater to exist in reality than to exist merely in the understanding. So, in order to think of the greatest being ever to exist, that being must exist in reality. He describes how a painter has an idea of an image in his mind, and that image exists in his mind, but it doesn't exist in reality until the painter actually paints the image. Then the painter knows that the image both exists in his mind and in reality, and it is greater that that image would exist in reality than that image simply exists in his mind. And this was Anselm's response to the fool in Psalms 14 verse 1 who says, there is no God. Because what he wants to know is, can somebody really say there is no God if they can think of a being than which a greater cannot be thought? Then Anselm turns to the particulars. What does it mean for God to be that than which a greater cannot be thought? For God to be that than which a greater cannot be thought, that than which nothing greater exists, God cannot be simply a better version of ourselves. What I mean by that is that we often think of God simply as, some, as a being that is measurably different than us. That he's unlimited in his size. Um, that he is unlimited in his power and in his attributes. And that his attributes are better than ours, measurably better than ours. That his size is measurably greater than us. And so on. But what Anselm is getting at, and what it means for God to be that than which a greater cannot be thought, is that God is unlimited in his being, in his essence. That God is altogether other than us. And for God to be altogether other than us means that God is infinite. God being infinite is the being that Anselm thinks of in his mind when he thinks of that than which a greater cannot be thought, is an infinite being both in relation to God's being and God's attributes. And so in his being, Anselm says, well, for God to be infinite is to be perfect, to lack nothing, to be a perfect being. He also says that God must then be a simple being, meaning that God is not made of parts. He's not complex. Because if God was made of parts, he would be dependent on each part to exist. Or he would need somebody to compose those parts into his being, meaning then he would not be infinite, nor would he be God. Meaning, everything that is in God is God. 
that God is simple means that he is self-sufficient, that he is completely one, that he cannot be broken up, that he is consistent. And God, who is infinite in his being, then must also be infinite in his attributes. That every attribute is infinite, not just a superhero version of us. That God's love is not just the superhero version of human love, but that it is infinite love, that it is completely other than us, that we cannot begin to describe, we cannot even begin to scratch the surface of what this love looks like. That every attribute in God is perfectly and wholly unchanging and eternal. So my question to you is, have you ever thought of God simply as he is in himself? Have you taken a moment to consider who exactly is the God you serve? Now, this isn't just a brain exercise to do in your spare time to enlarge your intellect. For Anselm, this was about joy, particularly joy, because for him, if God is the supreme being, then to experience God on this earth must bring the greatest joy. But it also must ensure that there will be an infinite and eternal joy waiting for us in heaven. For us, maybe it is joy that motivates us to think about God as he is in himself. But there are a whole list of benefits for thinking about who God is in himself. For me, it's been simply consolation when things in this world aren't as we think they should be. It's hope in trials. But I think one of the things that's done the most for me has been humility to come face to face with something I can't wrap my mind around. Something that makes me stop and realize that I am finite, that I am small and really insignificant in the grand scheme of things. That it is God who is truly worthy of my worship. That God is worthy of my life. And I think that is more more profitable for my spiritual experience, at least I found it to be, than any five steps to a better me. Or 12 steps to a better me, whatever, however many steps you want to take. It's done a whole lot more for me because it's completely shifted my worldview. So I hope Anselm inspires you as he does me to keep searching the deep things of God, to study God's nature and character, and to grow in our devotion to him. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exploring Christianity. For more great biblical content, visit thechristianexplorer.org.